0: If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
1: Hello, my name is Tim Sylvie, and I'm delighted to say that I'm once again joined by the I know you love a bit of cheese. Harry Benjamin, welcome back. How are
2: you? Hello, Tim. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be back. Feels like I've been away for a long old time on this show, but uh, good to be back. And um, yeah, can't wait to get chatting to our guest. Now, um,
1: it is very good to have you back, by the way. It's it's nice to see your your, your little face again. Um, we're obviously in pre-season mode, but at the time of recording, I don't know what the date is today. What is the, the date? Eighth it's of Feb. the 8th of Feb. So we've already had... Haas, Williams, Alpha, and Red Bull unveil their 2023 challenges in inverted commas. Um, first thoughts: what, what do you think?
2: Well, I would like 48 minutes of my life back from Red Bull. That would be yeah. ideal, please. Uh, and then uh, the Haas was all right. Alpha was good. Um, what was the other one that came out? Oh, the Williams and the Williams. Everyone yeah. was going mad about the 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 Duracell airbox thing, but I yeah. swear they had that last year they as did. well. They did. Yeah. I
1: saw it last year. Everyone, all over LinkedIn, people were, were talking about that that flipping thing. The LinkedIn, thing. massive. And um, uh, I, I thought it was all right at the Williams. I was just disappointed not to see more golf. But I think, as everyone.
2: Yeah, they might do a one off livery, though, maybe like they did yeah, with McLaren. I was, I did think that. Yeah, I did think that. But overall, um, not too, not too shabby, I'd say.
1: Yeah, I thought it was all right. And Did you enjoy the race awards? We caught up there.
2: Uh, yes, yes, I I got very drunk. Um, thank did you. you. Well, I well, I mean, well, I, not as not as bad as last year, but um, I still got to bed at a reasonable time. Um, but it was, you know, you didn't win anything. Um, I was an not any awards. No. So what else was there to do, really?
1: Yeah, just get just take, abuse the free booze. Exactly. Cheers. Yeah. Um, actually, we've got news uh, with them, but we can't talk about it yet. It's another one of those little teasers. Yeah, it's um, well, it's it's part of the race. WTF one whole world but all to be revealed Um, something's brewing Um, anyway should we introduce today's guest I think so let's get on with it so today we're joined by Formula One performance coach strength and conditioning coach and NLP practitioner Michael Italiano Australian-born, Michael has fairly recently taken up a performance coaching role at Alpha Tory, but was previously with everyone's favourite paddock personality, Daniel Ricciardo. We're here to learn about his life, career, thoughts and opinions. Michael, a very, very warm welcome to the Motormouth podcast. How are you doing?
3: Hey, Tim. Hey, Harry. I'm, uh, I'm fantastic. I'm currently uh, currently in London and in, uh, the sun's shining, so that's that's a, a rare eclipse. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's, actually, it's been all right the last couple of days. They're really foggy in the mornings. Um, well, that's the first question answered. We're going to ask where, where you're dialing in from. But you're obviously originally from Perth, which is not a bad place to uh, yeah. to spend your time growing up, I imagine. I've never been. Uh, but So what was it like? What, what were you up to as a child?
3: No, Perth's great. Uh, if you definitely get over to Australia, definitely visit Perth. It's a, it's an amazing city. I'm going to be quite biased and say we probably have the best weather Maybe, yeah, I'm going to say that I'm going to put that claim out there that we have the best weather. We're, you know, it's 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 mainly sunny. Uh, can get quite windy in winter, but uh, no, Perth's Perth's great. As a growing up, I was always outdoors. I think it's one of those cities where it's hard not to be outdoors. You've got an amazing coastline, the sun's always out, um, so it's it kind of just it just kind of throws you into into the outdoors. And you know, you kind of feel guilty when you're staying home when the weather's that good. So, yeah, I was a very I was a very outdoor kid or even teenager growing up. So I was a very active guy. And then, uh, yeah, still, still coming to grips with London weather. I won't lie. I've been here, I think, six years now. I, I, I love the city. I think it's so fun, but uh, the weather needs to lift its game. Yeah, it, it could put you off going outside a bit.
1: <laughs> it, it can. Although today is glorious. It's a blue sky, lovely frosty morning. It's, you know, this is classic British winter weather. Um, Michael, when did fitness first come on your radar then? When when did that start to become a thing for you? Was it there from an early age or was it something that you grew into later on?
3: Yeah, it, it was with me at an early age. I think my, my parents uh, enrolled me into tennis when I was like five or six. So I started playing tennis and then I went into basketball and then I went into what Australians call soccer uh, and I played soccer for 10 years and then I, I transitioned to Aussie rules to so AFL uh, for another five years so I was always playing sport loved the performance aspect to it and I got really hooked um, when I started I guess applying applying methods and, and, and knowledge that I was learning self-learning myself through reading books and, and you know the, the the lovely source of the internet and applying it within my training whether it's my strength training my fitness training and then actually seeing it come to light on game day and that was something that I that I guess was addictive for me so coming out of school I actually I started studying civil instructional engineering because I, I had a bit of a creative side to me which I, I loved to to dive into so I, I, I loved art I loved drawing I loved creating things um, so when I was in like my, my woodwork class that would that would excite me to make something out of wood <laughs> so I had that I had that little I guess passion of mine as well. So then, when I moved into engineering, I thought, "Here I am going to, you know, be creative." But then I realized um, it wasn't as <laughs> it wasn't as as glorious as what I thought it'd be. Um, I was only seventeen, so I didn't really understand, you know, what it'd be like. So I was in an office for about seven years um, doing like civil structural design and also studying engineering. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then I, uh, I guess I decided, you know would I be happy if I'm still in this building in 10 years time? If, you know, even if I was a manager or, you know, head of the group, the answer was probably no. Um, it was just something that I just knew deep down. It wasn't really, I guess, exciting. Like it wasn't thrilling for me and it wasn't, it also, honestly, it wasn't motivating me to get out of bed. Simple as that. So I decided to to move into studying, um, you know, becoming a coach and, and a performance coach. And honestly, I since I've, since i made the transition, I, I, I don't recall the day where I've woken up and I'm, and I'm sick to go to work, and that's that's the feeling that I was chasing, and and I'm I'm very grateful to have that because I know uh, I know it's not easy to find, I know, I know it's not easy to find your passion, I know, I know it's also not easy to make a career out of your passion.
2: It, it's so easy to say do what you love, isn't it? But then if somebody doesn't really quite know what they want to do, they they don't know their passion. It, it's all just you know rubbish to them. How do they find that? But just before that, I suppose, doing so many sports as a, as a young kid, did you ever think, I mean, I, I, it sounded like you're obviously quite good at them and the fitness sub is obviously really keen for you. Could you have ever gone pro? Would you ever consider, were you considering ever doing that back in the day?
3: No, I, I, I would probably say, honestly, I, I, I wasn't good enough. Um, I, I think I made, you know, <laughs> you could say I, I technically made like a, like a semi-pro level in Australian level. So it's, uh, yeah, i I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, bag bag out. If it the wasn't stra- for the knee
2: injury, <laughs> yeah. be there.
3: no, no, I was going to say I don't want to bag out the the Australian <laughs> quality of of soccer, but. It wouldn't be anything close to, you know, if I was to play in the, in the UK.
1: <laughs> now, before we get into your um, motor sport exploits, I'm keen to learn more about NLP. Can you just explain what this is? We, we, we've read up about it a little bit, but just just tell us a little bit about what NLP stands for and what exactly that means.
3: Oh, NLP. Um, so Neural Linguistics Programming. So it's honestly, the way I can describe it, it's, it's, it's a communications course. And it teaches you how. I mean, personally, I loved the course because it it enabled me to. So essentially, this particular course that I went on, you have to apply it all to yourself first before you can apply it to others. So you learn a lot about yourself. Um, talk a lot, a lot of self reflection, understanding what your unresourceful sources um, resources are and what your resourceful sources are, um, and then. Uh, I guess what you can do is you just go through and you can learn how to anchor states. So anchor state of mind. So, you know, whether I want to anchor a happy state, a focus, focus state, or my, you know, my, my flow state, as some people might, may understand, especially athletes, athletes understand that term flow state where they're in that state of mind where everything slows down. They're super, they're hyper-focused. Everything else is a blur. They have like this tunnel vision and everything feels easy. Right. And, um, the best way I could describe it is, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have watched The Last Dance um, by Michael Jordan, the documentary, but, he, you know, he, he talks a lot about it, how, you know, he had a lot of rumours going around about him and he had a lot of adversity with his family going on. But as soon as he crossed that white line, he had this ability to just to get into his flow state and let nothing affect him. So you learn you learn how to, like, anchor states. And, and then with that, I've been able to to bring this, I guess you could say, tool to my athletes and, and, you know, we, we, you learn a lot about like, so from the communication, it's, it's laid in five levels, um, from like first level being like a superficial level of communication to level five being deep embodiment. And it actually helps you as a coach, right? It helps you as a coach to communicate to your, to your athletes, how to actually talk to them on a deeper level and understand them on a deeper level and then help them understand themselves and and it's it's very interesting it's something that honestly it's probably one of the most favorite courses i've done um i'm now still need to complete my masters in it but it's uh it's something that uh, i i couldn't recommend more to uh honestly the, the average person you don't have to be a coach you can you can be any you can in any field i think it's just something that you can definitely learn a lot more about yourself uh very easily it's it's, it's they're simple concepts that you can really just yeah hone into
1: is that is that like a could you compare it to any kind of meditation or anything like that it's it sort of sounds like you've got to get yourself into some sort of state and i, I understand the flow one cuz i've talked about that or we've talked about it that uh, in my work as um, you know, when you get into that flow and you don't even realize that you need the toilet, you just, you know, you suddenly come around like eight hours later going, Oh my God, I really need to go to the bathroom because you've been in that flow state where you just can't, you're, you're hyper-focused. Is, is there, is there a crossover with meditation with all of this?
3: Uh, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, I know meditation's mainly about, you know, b- breathing and, and actually getting yourself into a sense of uh, into a, a meditative sense of state. So there, there would be similarities for sure. Um, you know h- how to get yourself into that state, um, and it's it's actually it's it's quite intriguing uh, when you first start. I, I remember my first ever my first ever session in NLP, and I was just confused as hell. And and all I remember is my my mentor saying, "That's good. I, I'm trying to put you in a confused state because that means you're actually thinking about it." And I was like, "Oh, okay, that actually makes sense." Um, just to, just because I, I never ever since since the age of 28 i never really i guess you could say did a self-reflection or actually decided to just check in with myself now and then and and actually understand you know simple questions of you know he goes michael how are you doing and i said i'm great and he's like cool what does great look like to you and i'm like uh what (laughs) he's like well tell me what does what does great michael look like what does he feel like when he's great and uh i couldn't even describe that because i was just that far away from my own sense of embodiment so uh yeah it taught me quite a lot
1: can you what is what is your great then can you talk about that now is that something you've got your head around
3: yeah definitely when I'm when I'm great my my uh my voice is a lot more high-pitched and and enthusiastic Uh, I'm definitely more smiley that's for sure with my eyes and my and my mouth and I actually am more talkative when I'm great you probably can't shut me up so be careful guys if I cuz I'm I'm great right now so <laughs> that's
2: what we love to hear it's fascinating actually hearing that um obviously formula 1 is now uh, a big a big deal for everybody uh it seems and, and that's how we've become to know you very well over the last couple of years but when did motorsport come on the radar for you then with all of this
3: yeah to be completely honest it came on the radar when daniel asked me to be his coach um i i did follow it so i I would watch I would watch the races mainly because of Daniel. So because I had a a personal interest in, you know, in Aussie driver and and, and knowing him personally, I would watch the races and and qualifying because of him. But, you know, back then, could I name the, you know, the 20 drivers? Probably not. (laughs) So when Daniel asked me to be his coach, uh, I had a lot of catching up to do. So a lot of, you know, a lot of reading books, reading about reading the history of Formula One and, uh, I guess just being a bit of a sponge the first couple of years, and just kind of getting your head around the sport.
1: And and was he uh, was he then as he is now? I know that, you know, as people mature and they change and they grow, um, th- their personalities may change, the way they act around other people may change. Daniel is seem, appears to be very much his own man. Was what, what we see now pretty much what you knew back in Australia?
3: Yeah, I, I think so, for sure. I mean, I think that's one of his strongest qualities is, you know, he is who he is, you know, he's not out to impress anyone. He's just, that's, that's who he is. And he's that quirky, quirky Aussie guy that will make you laugh. And, you know, he's a pretty strong character. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's definitely a quality anyone should bring in, in into their lives, whether it's, they are whether they are a sportsman or work in, in business is just obviously be yourself and, and in, in embrace your odd quirkiness. We've all got something that's a bit quirky to others and, you know, don't, don't be, don't shy away from it.
2: So Daniel sends you a message. Can you be my coach for, for, for this season? What's, what's the next step? What do you do? Do you then go, obviously, yes, let's sit down. Do you make a plan for the year or do you do like a fitness evaluation? What, what are those next literal steps that you're going to take before I imagine in the preseason stages?
3: Yeah, it was actually quite late. So it was mid December, when he came back to Perth and we sat down for for some breakfast to discuss it. Obviously I, I wanted to take the job. Um, however, there, there were some political reasons why it may not have happened. Um, so he wanted it to happen. However, at the time, it wasn't a hundred percent that we could get it over the line. Um, so I didn't want to get myself too, <laughs> I guess, overwhelmed with, with the whole situation. I thought, Oh, hang on a second. Like, this is, it's a likelihood, but it's don't, don't get too carried away. So yes, of course uh, I wanted the job, but I also was um, yeah, I didn't get carried away. We went through the steps of what he, what he required from a coach because at the end of the day, like, yes, I want the job. I want the role, but I want to make sure that I'm coming on board to make a difference. Like I don't want to just be that person who's just part of the entourage and that's that. So I, I did want to hear him out of like his expectations of what he wanted and just to make sure that, yeah, you know what, I, I do believe I can, I can fill that role and, and be that, be that coach for you. So yeah, we had, we had a good sit down and, and yeah, obviously the chat went really well. I've, I was with him for five years. So this is the first year I'm, I'm not with him anymore, but uh, yeah, it was, a, it has been a, it was a fun, fun five years together.
1: And, and how did you find that transition? I mean, you, you, you come across like quite, I think probably with your work, particularly in the, the NLP side of things, I'd imagine you're a relatively deep thinker and and can think things through quite logically. But you've, you've moved from Australia to the UK. You're living in London. How did you find that transition? Um, I guess you weren't able to spend that much time in London because you, you're straight away on the road traveling. the world. but how, how did you find leaving home and coming across the other side of the world? Was it difficult or did you just take it in your stride?
3: No, I, I actually struggled and I, and I didn't think I would struggle. Um, so that was a bit of a, an eye-opener for me. I hadn't done my NLP course then, so uh, I was still understanding myself, but uh, transitioning from, you know, I, I think I was a coach. I think I had like 50, 50 clients at the time coaching and uh, all of a sudden become, you know, training one client. Yeah, there's a lot to do, but you, you all of a sudden have a lot more spare time on your hands and I just I just didn't know what to do with myself, um, hence why I started taking up courses to to, to better myself and upskill my coaching um, because I had all this dead time where I was just, I was just bored and I'm, I'm not the type of character that can just sit on the, sit on the couch and just watch TV. I'm, I'm just a bit too highly, highly sprung, uh, highly wide. So I, I always need to be doing something, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I did struggle. I think, I think by the third race in Shanghai, I remember quite vividly Friday night. I was, I think I was quite homesick already and it was like two, three months away I just, did, I just didn't get a chance to adapt. Like it was literally, okay, I need to move all my stuff. Pre-season started and I was flying everywhere. First race in Melbourne, which was just an absolute whirlwind. It's like home race, let alone my first race in F1. It was the first race that draft to survive the Netflix started. So all of a sudden I had twice as many cameras in my face. I didn't know what was going on. So I was just a bit of a blur. And then I think when Shanghai hit, it was a bit more of a quieter race And I guess I could kind of sit back and and I realized, oh, hang on a second. Like, why don't I feel completely happy? Um, And then I realized, okay, I'm a bit homesick here. So, I yeah, I I called in, called in the fam, had a bit of a chat to them, felt better. And then uh, two days later, he won the race. So everything was all good after that. So
2: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing what a win can do, isn't it? Uh, It is so interesting hearing hearing the battles of that. But obviously, you know, you followed Daniel around um, Red Bull, Renault, McLaren what what's the difference or what differences do you see from just a team perspective are, are are they run quite differently is it noticeable when you walk through the front door and you go oh right okay this is how you run things
3: yeah I, I think honestly that the, the main thing that changes is personnel obviously new faces new team but at the end of the day race weekend you're in the garage and you know it, everything's the same they all they all want to you know mm-hmm. do well I, I, I will say I think definitely the mentality of some of some teams you could you can tell difference you know the, the winning mentality to to the non-winning mentality for sure you you can feel that vibe and you, and you can you can sense that that leadership drive in the teams that that know how to win or or are winning um, for sure. I think the processes of how things are run definitely slightly different, but you get your head around it and you know and, and, and you you figure it out after three, four races of you know who you need to speak to and and, and how they operate. And uh, I guess the only you know, everything else that really changes is the car, because all the all the parts are obviously made independently in the factory. So, yeah, you look at a car and you go, "Oh, okay, that's that's different to you know X car that I saw you know last year or year before. That's interesting. Why do they do it that way?" And then you might look at it and go, "Oh, actually, that's better doing it this way." And then you might look at other things and go, "Actually, that team did this a lot better." And and you you, you can give them some some insights and and information if you know. If, if they want it because you know you do see quite quite a bit so um yeah it, it is definitely interesting um but i wouldn't say it's a, a bigger transition than people may see
1: and do you have to as formula one is is unique in a, in a number of ways and and the, f- the physicality of driving a formula one car is very different to the physicality of i don't know someone that you're training back home you know those 50 clients that you had that probably you know wanted different things you know lose weight strength you know bulk up or whatever did you have to adapt your own knowledge of um, physical training specifically for Formula One drivers and did that did that take some time to get your head around as well
3: yeah definitely Um, if you look at literature now in motorsport athletes I think there's like only two two books that talks about performance in motorsport and how to actually train the motorsport athletes so there wasn't much literature out there when I went looking so I, I, I went you know Talking to some really highly regarded coaches within my within my inner, inner circle about how I could tackle this, um, understanding the physical demands of the car was something that I definitely wanted to get my head around first because I think that that definitely helped me a lot in understanding. Okay, this is what the guys go through. So now how how can I how can I train that to ensure that you know we we I guess. I guess help them in, in a way to, to withstand those those car those car physicalities better. So to give you an example, one is definitely the heat. So wearing fire resistant suits and obviously the you know being close to the ground, the asphalt, the engines right behind them, rubber tyres. It's just this this they're just getting smothered in heat, right? And with their fire resist, resistant suits, they're not they're not there to uh, help them breathe so like all of a sudden their core body temperature is just it, it rises quite quickly um and and we and we all know the obvious is as soon as dehydration kicks in that's when fatigue kicks in and on onset of fatigue that's when you can start you know your your reaction time starts to uh, diminish and so and, and we all know in motorsport especially Formula one if you if you're very if you're if you're dehydrated and you start getting fatigued and your reaction time, your reaction starts to to reduce. Then that's you know one or two tenths per lap that you're probably going to be you're losing from a performance aspect. So and that's quite a lot, right? So there's the heat, there's the vibrations of the car, there's the g-force. There's there's heaps of elements to consider when pro, as a coach programming for for strength and cardiovascular fitness for these guys.
2: Wow, didn't wouldn't have it. I mean, when you say it, it's so clear. But you sort of don't clock those kind of things when you're just watching it or or, or even working uh, in in the sport. I suppose on top of that, though, and more and more it's talked about mental health over the last few years, as well as the physical side, one can directly influence the other. I think physical health, you know, if you improve your physical health, your mental health can absolutely improve as well. But are you able to, to help on that side of things with, with the drivers that, that obviously Daniel and, and now you're coaching Yuki, are you, are you able to help on that side of things as well?
3: yeah i i'd like to think so for sure um you know as a coach you're you're with them the most so you do you do build a a very strong bond naturally i would say and it's something that i've i'm very happy with how i guess my relationship with yuki is going already one month in um it's actually going better than i anticipated and we're really really bonding very very well so i'm i'm very happy in, in that regard um you know and a lot of the times you can even just being a sounding board is is the most simplest things you can do as a coach but look even as a friend uh as a husband boyfriend girlfriend just to be a sounding board and, and and let people vent and and just tell them about what they're thinking or what's bothering them that in itself is just is just helping so yeah being a sounding board is important um giving giving your your opinions and and I guess offerings based on, you know, what's best for them because you know, you're an extra pair of eyes. Um, So, you know, what you see may be invisible to them, you know, uh, or something that they just, I guess they don't want to, they don't want to tackle just now because it's too hard. And it's like, no, no, hang on a second. Let's, let's look into this a little bit deeper. So yeah, definitely. I think as a coach, that's, that's the main thing that I I love getting stuck into. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love training, but I think, I think the mind is where the magic happens. And uh, that's that's definitely a, a strong strong point that I think as a coach, you 100 should be uh, should be focusing on.
1: I'm I'm fascinated by the whole the mind part of it, and and you know you're you're imparting your knowledge in, to these drivers and these athletes, um, but you have your own mind as well and your own stresses and the strains. And you mentioned the transition from Australia to to the to the living in the UK. You, you struggled with. And then you mentioned the drive to survive experience and that sort of influx of cameras. And then all of a sudden you're becoming your own kind of whether you want it or not a media personality and and the media are interested in what you've got to say and podcasts like us come knocking on your door and asking you questions and asking you to talk to our audience how do you find that personally from your side of things do you enjoy the um, extra attention that you've got as part of your role with the likes of Daniel and Yuki or or do you find it just a bit of an unnecessary noise
3: as a coach, I'm definitely going to say unnecessary noise <laughs> because, and, and the, the reason why I say that obviously is because putting my coaching hat on, it, it is a sense of a distraction, right? You know, cameras and me, me, you know, interviews and questions and then, Oh, can we film this? Can we film that? It's uh, it's definitely a distraction, right? Whether, whether you, whether you want to admit to it or not, it is. Um, however, I have to accept it because that's what the sport is at the moment you know, that's, that's how, that's the direction the sport's heading. So I'm, uh, I'm I'm not bitter about it. And it's something that you just have to embrace. And, uh, yeah, it it was something that I'm, it definitely caught me by surprise. Like I I didn't think I was going to walk into a paddock and see that many cameras, having breakfast cameras on me, um, warming Daniel up cameras on me. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, I can't even, I can't even talk to him like uh, as a mate, cause I wasn't sure like, you know, what you can and can't say. Cause I, you know, I wasn't educated on, you know, how to talk to the media or, any, cause you know, these guys get media training um, quite a lot before heading into formula one. And even when they're in formula one, as younger, as younger drivers, they get quite a bit of media training where as coaches, you kind of just get thrown in the deep end. Cause like, you're like the sidekick guy and you're always there and you just kind of, yeah, I guess you just got to roll with it. And, uh, now, obviously, six years in, I, I don't have an issue talking to you know, on podcasts or anything like that. I think it's it's actually one of the things I enjoy uh, you know, is, is talking on a podcast because it's usually about things that I love talking about. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's something that I yeah something I enjoy.
2: So you've never had any sort of media training; you've just sort of picked picked up
3: how to do it over yeah. the years. Yeah. Um, so please don't listen to any of my stuff in years one and two because yeah. I probably sucked. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Everyone going back there now. So, are you employed directly by like uh, the driver, or or is it the team? How does it work on that front?
3: Uh, it, uh, to be honest, it depends on the setup of the team. So, we, we, with Daniel, I was employed right. by him, um, but now with Yuki, I'm I'm employed by the team. So, it it, it all purely depends on on the team and, and their setup. They've all got different kind of setups and, and 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 what they put in their contract and what they don't. So. So, yeah
2: so how how has the the yuki Tsunoda um relationship you said it's already got got off to a great start but did Alpha tauri come to you on that front obviously i imagine you've bumped paths with enough people in the paddock to, to talk and see what opportunities there are so how, how is this new venture with yuki uh, come about in the first place
3: to, to be honest it came very late <laughs> uh it happened in brazil grand prix like the Sunday race day. So second, last race of the year. So I, I was getting a little bit, I wouldn't say worried, but I was like, huh, oh, I got to start making up my mind what I want to do. And then, um, fortunately Yuki's coach, uh, at the time he was stepping away. Cause he's having, he's having a kid and he wanted to spend more time at home, which is completely, completely understandable. He, he came to me and he said, look, I, I think you'd be the, a, a really good fit for Yuki next season. I've, I've, mentioned your name to Yuki and he's happy for, for a meeting if, if you want that. So I said, yeah, sure. Like I'll, I'll think about it. And then, and then uh, I got a text from Christian Horner saying, Hey, Michael, might have an opportunity for you with Yuki. Would you, would you want to sit down and have a bit of chat? So I had a chat with him and Dr. Marco and that was a really good chat. Um, so then after that chat, I, I decided to have a coffee with Yuki after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Um, and yeah, it went well, and uh, I guess everything else is history from there. We're uh, we've been up and running. We did a really awesome training camp in Dubai uh, in January. We absolutely smashed it. He actually surprised me. I didn't realise how much of a bit of a machine he is in the gym. I know he's got this reputation of not enjoying training, but. He's a bit of a he's a bit yeah. of a hidden secret
2: because he came off on Drive to Survive. Like obviously Yuki's a great character, but yeah, came out on Drive to Survive that he did not enjoy. He does not want to get up early. He does not want to train. He just wants to game all day. That's how it comes across. <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I think I think at the time definitely, but now now I've noticed um, he just gets on with it. There's no complaining. There's no oh, do we have to do this? It's like we wake up, we have breakfast, and he's like, "What are we doing today?" And I'm like, "Cool." Doing a strength, we're doing some mobility strength strength session in the morning, and then you're going to come back. We'll get you a massage, and then we'll do some cardio in the in the afternoon and some neck strength. And he's like, okay, and he's just just go just goes with it. And uh, he, honestly, the response I got from him is has been fantastic. Um, there's there's nothing that I honestly that I I, I could fault him with him right now. He he works really hard. We went to the, the Red Bull um, Athletic Performance Center in Austria a couple of weeks ago. All these all these targets improved from last season. So we did a lot of testing, physical testing, cardiovascular testing, and all these markers are improving. So he's he's getting better and better each year from a from a performance aspect. So yeah, let's, let's hope that can uh, that can continue on in, into his racing performance as well.
1: Now um, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So um, if if we have th- things like mindfulness training, you know, people trying to improve themselves is um, I would say it's probably more of a thing now than it maybe was 5 or 10 years ago. I think people are starting to embrace, you know, whether it's them going to therapy or seeing someone about NLP or or seeing a my performance coach. It, with the things that you've learned over the 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 time that you've been in this career, is there any is there any takeaways that you can give our audience, anyone that might be struggling to get motivated or just isn't feeling great? What, what could, what little bits of advice could you give them just to start that road to becoming a better version of them?
3: Yeah, I think that's actually one of the most common questions I get sent to me on, on my social, social channels is like, how do I get motivated? And I think motivation like stems from direction. Like if you, if you don't really have a direction, whether it's in your life or or fitness journey, it's very hard to get motivated. Um, so I always, I always like to tell people it's like, you know, set, set some intrinsic and extrinsic goals, intrinsic being like within yourself, like some, you know, what you, what you want to be as a human and extrinsic goals being something superficial, whether it's I want to run a marathon or lose 10 kilos and actually set some, some direction in your life and, and have a reason why, right? Cause there, you know, there's a lot of people that come to me and go, Oh, I want to lose 10 kilos. but It's like, but why and it's like, Oh, cause I'll, I'll look good. Okay. But why do you want to look good? Oh, because it improves my confidence. Okay, but why does it improve your confidence? And then you start getting to understand from a deeper level, oh, shit, this is really why I want to lose the weight, not because I'm just going to look good. And then it, it kind of just, and that, that that's your drive and that's your motivator. So I always like to start with that and, and set some intrinsic and extrinsic goals. And I also like to highlight the excuses. So 70% of what we do as humans, we, we run excuses all the time and we just don't know it. So I I like to highlight the excuses that we run and go, okay, cool. These are all the excuses. Now let's tackle them. Let's, let's, let's figure out how we can, I guess, set aside those excuses to make sure that it doesn't happen. So, you know, some really common excuses. I don't have the time, right? I have a family, so I get home and, and I, and I'm too tired because I have a very strenuous, um, work job. So I come home and I'm too tired. Um, you know, I, I don't get enough sleep. So there's all these excuses, right? which are valid excuses, of course, but you need to tackle them, right? You can't just keep running with them. So, um, a big thing that I love is I always say win the morning. And that would probably be my last suggestion is Like win the morning, because if you can win the morning, every, everything else doesn't matter. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you can wake up an hour earlier and do some stretching or do 20 minutes of movement or go for a walk and get some sunlight, at least you know if you've had a busy day and you have to work late and you get home you don't feel guilty that you haven't exercised or you haven't done you know your meditation it's because you know what i did in the morning you know the best feeling is when you when you're getting to work at eight thirty or 9 a.m and you've already hit your targets and it's like wow how good that i've literally just won the morning i've won the day because i've done my i've done my 10, 10, 10 minutes of mobility i've done my 10 minutes of meditating and i've done my 20 minutes of movement right and now so everything else is just a win from here on in so yeah. I guess there a couple little basic, um, advice. I guess I can give people to kind of, yeah, they, they may take 5% of that. They may take 50% of it, but it's, it's, it's some little tips that you can definitely embed into your, your daily routine. Yeah. Oh,
1: I, I need a Michael Italiano in my life. Like it's it's, 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 so much of what you say makes sense. But it's, it's like it's, it's classic case of if, if you don't know, you don't know, do you? And it, it's just a lot of what you say is complete common sense. Um, I'm definitely going to go for a walk after this podcast and get some sunshine. <laughs> Tim talk. has not won 100%. his morning. No, I, my, my morning <laughs> is a disaster. So I, I'm going to get out the door in a minute and. Uh, yeah, I get, I'll tell you
2: what, though, you know, see, I, I just since I got an Apple Watch right? Other brands are available. Yep. But you know, they've got those rings that you cl- you can close your movement, your calories, yep. your, 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 your fit, how much fitness you want to do. Honestly, since I've got that, and when I close them, all, all I think about every day is like, right, I've got to close these. And if I haven't closed them by the end of the day, I'm so annoyed
3: at myself for
2: not doing it. But, but it's that's, mad that's amazing. Much, and then suddenly, if I've done it all by midday, I'm like, oh, amazing.
3: Yeah, well, well, there's something right there for you right now, Harry. So like, like from what you're saying, you're, you're very data driven. Right. So data motivates you and strives you. So then all of a sudden you just, you just understand, you've just understood, understood, okay, I'm motivated by data. So like when it comes to goals, have, have some actual figures to set and set yourself. Right. Because that, that might be something that motivates you more. Oh,
2: that's a nice bit of free advice there from michael italian data driven let me jot that down <laughs> thank you but you're so right you're spot on and i wouldn't have even i wouldn't even thought of that as as a, a bigger thing i would have just gone oh i just need to close out those rings and then you know then i'm good but then suddenly that opens up a whole new you know i could i can make a spreadsheet now
3: yeah i'm i'm very data driven and i have a whoop and uh you can join communities with with your friends, and it tells you like who's had the best sleep, who's got the best recovery, who's done the best strain strain being uh, activity. So, I'm highly data driven. So I, I'm the same. I, I'll set one rep max targets six months later, and just strive for them because I'm super data driven. You know, so you you could do quite a lot with that, Harry, if you if you really want to.
1: Now, uh, Michael, we, we've, we've kept you for nearly long enough, but we, we do have a final three questions, which we ask all of our guests. And I'm, I'm quite excited to see what, what you come up with. Um, uh, right. I'll, I'll kick off uh, this week. What's got you excited at this very moment? And it can be anything. It doesn't necessarily need to be racing related or career related, but anything you want. What's got you excited at the moment?
3: The new season of you comes out tonight, I think. And that has excited does me. It? Oh, that's excited me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tonight or tomorrow? Don't quote me. But yeah, the next next forty eight hours, the new season comes out. So that's what I'm excited about at the moment, Tim.
2: Right, let me drop that. that Data Driven and You Season 3 or whatever it's like. Thanks, Michael. Gosh, it'd be great getting you on. Uh, Right, second question. How much of your success do you put down to luck and right place, right time? And how much is down
3: to sheer hard work? Well, my father always told me that you create your own luck and I've I've stuck with that my whole life. So I, I think... Luck comes from sheer hard work. I think if you work hard, you create your own luck. And on top of that, I think it's important to to define your own definition of success before you do that. Because my success will look very different to what Tim's definition, Harry's definition of success is. Yeah,
1: Great, great answer. Final one for you.
3: What are you scared of? Heights. Don't even, nothing comes close.
2: Really? Have you done any bungee jumping or anything like that?
3: No, my, my, my best mate bought me a skydiving ticket for my 21st birthday. I booked it and then that day I, I parked out. So he, he lost his money. He was pretty filthy at me for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> can, you, can you not like, could, could you not sort of mind train yourself out of your own fear of heights? Or is that just one step beyond for you? That That no. fear is just all encompassing.
3: No, spot on. It, like you said, it's a mental thing, right? So, like for me, I'm super intrigued. So I, I want to jump out of a plane. I want to. I try and put myself in those moments, um, but my legs just get weak and I can't feel my my ankles. So I need to. I need to keep training. I think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, listen, Michael. A- a- absolutely fascinating talking to you. We could literally go on for hours. It's it's such an interesting subject. I know we've sort of focused a lot on the on the the mind side of things, but obviously, the, you know, the physical side of things is, is hugely important as well. But thank you for the the knowledge that you, you've given us because there's some really good um, little tidbits in there that I'm sure people can take away with them. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. We'll let you get on with your day, but for now, Michael, thanks for joining us on the Mouth podcast. No, thanks for having
3: me, Tim and Harry. It was really, really good talking to you
2: thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook just search Motormouth you can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast